0: Here's 1912. We are somewhere in the North Atlantic Ocean, drifting along in a lifeboat. The air is freezing and the sea is like glass, reflecting the stars above like an oily black mirror. All around are women and children, a few elderly, but no men, except the sailors rowing the boat. The silent passengers watch as their husbands and fathers swarm along the sinking deck of an enormous ship, not but a quarter mile away. The lights aboard the behemoth boat slowly flash into darkness. But screaming can still be heard, arriving on the chilly wind. Some of the women in the lifeboat shout their husbands' names out above the water. But no answers return. Helpless, they watch as the end of this massive ship rises 250 feet in the air, dropping bodies into the waves, unsure of the fate of their loved ones. Then, the sea swallows it whole biggest ship of its time, now lost in the vastness of the ocean, leaving the lifeboats in the dark, calm night, as if she'd never existed. I'm Zach Lovelace, and this is Circa. A few years ago, I bought my grandma's car, a 2005 Honda Civic. I've had a sordid history with the vehicles I drive, losing them to blown transmissions, electrical gremlins, pumps busting, and even one head-on collision, which was actually my fault. So to have something stable with no apparent flaws, I was extremely grateful. Thanks, Grandma. But it's when I got behind the wheel for the first time that I noticed it. A tiny red light on the dashboard in the shape of a man sitting with a beach ball on his lap. It didn't blink. It just stayed on. Grandma told me, don't worry about it. It's always been like that. Some fuse is blown or the bulb is bad. So, comforted by her words, I drove home. Turns out that little red man was something more devious than a blown bulb. A few months after owning the car, Honda announced a recall, a defect in the airbags installed in certain models. If the car sustained an impact of any kind, causing the airbag to deploy... Part of its housing would dislodge and shoot out like shrapnel, right into the driver's face. Eight people have been killed so far. Now when I heard about this, a fear sunk into my gut. The tiniest fender bender could kill me. All those hours commuting bumper to bumper would now be a struggle of life and death. I drove that car for another two months before getting it fixed, baiting death on every trip to the gas station, to work, to the grocery store, or to get toilet paper. Thankfully, Honda fixed it for free, and I went on my merry way, free from the fear of my impending doom. That is, unless there's some other defect I'm unaware of. The history of modern man can easily be mapped by the development of the industries around him. Textiles, meat, munitions, and automobiles, each has had its dark past peppered with the loss of human life. The Honda airbag recall may be the most recent, but it certainly won't be the last. If there's anything true about defects, it's they go hand-in-hand with progress, usually being attributed to what's known as human error. What is it about us that makes human error exist? Of course, when making something by hand, errors are bound to happen, slight variations in measurement or dosage. But how can an industry, in today's world where most design is done by computers, give us so much room for error. February 1st, 2003, the space shuttle Columbia was returning home from a routine mission with seven astronauts aboard when the worst occurred. Upon re-entry, when the ship pushed back into Earth's atmosphere, it rattled and shook, the temperature gauges screaming. Within seconds, the shuttle disintegrated, killing all inside. NASA... An organization full of the greatest minds of the free world designed Columbia and mapped its 113 missions. They calculated each variable, achieving what was once thought impossible. But that still could not stop Columbia from crashing. It turns out when Columbia launched a few days before, a suitcase-sized piece of insulation foam broke off from the external tank and struck the left wing going 500 miles an hour. The foam, weighing about the same as a basketball, blasted a hole in the wing that went unnoticed during the mission, but would eventually lead to its tragic end. In reaction, safety measures and updated regulations like parachutes and depressurization protocol were added to further missions. But still, defects aren't just a thing in vehicles or spaceships. Like I said before, they're everywhere. They're even found in the most benign of industries. The toy industry makes billions of dollars a year on entertainment, from newborns to college students. Everybody loves toys. But over the years, this business has seen its fair share of safety issues. In the 60s, following the release of the comedy film Son of Flubber, Disney commissioned the creation of its viscid star for kids to enjoy. If you've seen the Robin Williams version of Flubber, you get the idea. The kids would get a jar of green goo that could be stretched and molded like putty, stick the walls, or ruin carpet. But soon, parents saw another side effect of this gelatin. Folliculitis, or a swelling and infecting of the pores of the hair, which would cause a rash all over children's bodies. Outrage erupted, and Disney recalled millions of tons of flubber. But soon ran into another issue. Flubber wouldn't burn. It only produced noxious black gas. And then it couldn't be thrown into the ocean. They weren't exactly environmentally friendly back then because Flubber floated. So as the legend goes, the maker of the goo, Hasbro, buried it under their facility where it's been long forgotten. They deny any such matter. Another great example of mass-produced defective toys were the Cabbage Patch Kids. Now, I'm not knocking the plush dolls with the fat faces. I've even been to their babyland in Cleveland, Georgia. Now, I'm talking about the cannibalistic Cabbage Patch Kids. The Snack Time Kid had a motorized mandible that could eat carrots or french fries, or fingers and hair. An important sensor that told the dolls when to stop eating the appropriate foods just didn't work all the time, leading to many bleeding fingertips and missing chunks of hair. These toys chomped away with surprising strength, costing Mattel $40 a pop to refund, adding up to an estimated $20 million in all. It's tough seeing things we love fail, especially when they're plush Baby faced dolls. But defects know no boundaries. Anywhere humans go, our error goes too. James Cameron was obsessed with shipwrecks. He'd always had a love for science in school, studying physics at a community college for a few years. And as many of you know, James Cameron would go on to make films like The Terminator, True Lies, and Abyss. But he's most famously known for writing and directing the film adaptation of the sinking of the Titanic. The shipwreck of the Titanic was rediscovered in 1985, and since then, Cameron had an intense desire not only to visit the site, but to film it. And he'd get his chance when he wrote a treatment and pitched it to 20th Century Fox. Soon after securing funds, the production grew to an enormous size. The budget hit $200 million, the biggest of any film in history to that point. Cameron and his crew would dive and film the Titanic itself 12 times, amassing shots of the wreckage to capture the true tragedy and injustice of the event. Titanic, the film, would go on to be the highest grossing film of all time, generating over $1 billion worldwide and double that upon its release in 2012 in 3D. All of the success, over $2 billion at the box office, built On the back of tragedy. But why? What caused the Titanic to sink in the first place? Steel, man's strongest construction metal, was having a renaissance by the turn of the 20th century. The open hearth method of purification of iron displaced the Bessemer process a few years prior. This made steel the most temperate, tensile material available. And the Titanic was constructed with this newer, stronger method. But with one caveat, most of the steel that comprised the ship was forged in Belfast, Ireland, in an acid-lined open hearth, which allowed more oxygen, which in turn added a higher sulfur content. It's this metallurgic makeup that would cause the Titanic's hull to become brittle in the cold Atlantic water, putting pressure on the rivets and ultimately causing the ship's susceptibility to puncture. In the end, a hole 12 square feet in size is all it took to sink the mightiest ship of an era on its first voyage. Less than 100 years later, because of that hole, James Cameron's Titanic would go on to become critically acclaimed, winning 11 Oscars in all, the most any film has ever won. The iceberg that met the Titanic had its own history. Scientists say it was one of the lucky 1% that make it that far south from the Arctic Circle, traveling thousands of miles over hundreds of years to reach its fated destination. For an iceberg of its size, it would have originated in Greenland as a gentle snowfall about 3,000 years ago. Oceans of time would pass, and soon it would pack into what's known as fern. A granulated ice layer. Then fully formed, it would separate from its mother glacier and set sail. Human error is the ultimate form of hubris. It always takes a toll on human life. Mankind will never be free of disaster or tragedy. They are part of what makes us stronger. After each moment of despair, we learn, strive, progress. It's in our DNA to chase perfection. Defects have a purpose, and that's to push us forward, to point us toward perfection. Failure drives innovation. After the Titanic was lost, many survivors raged at the lack of lifeboats and the mismanagement of their use. The White Star Line was sued for compensation of goods and loss of loved ones. Like in Columbia's story, the tragedy of the Titanic set in motion reform of maritime regulations, most of which are still used today. Those captaining the Titanic didn't know they'd sailed into an ice field. They thought they were in no danger at all. But that's exactly why we need to keep our eyes open for any icebergs on the horizon. So next time you find yourself driving, flying, or sailing, and you don't die. Know that you ride safer because of those who rode before you. Thank you for listening. Circa is written and recorded by me and produced by The Bento Block, with support in part by our patrons. If you're looking forward to next week's episode, check out our Patreon page and see what comes with being a patron. Everything from perks like getting each episode early, behind-the-scenes content, and upcoming merch. For more info, visit the link in the description. See you next Monday, and remember, you are history.